Thank you, Pastor Taylor. It's true. Actually, your video game thing was pretty cool, but I like the, the unicorns and the sharks. Uh, they were awesome. In fact, I think you guys should wear your unicorn outfit next Sunday to church. It'd bring a lot of joy to the house. Yeah, you, 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 we'd all know. Security guys will take care of you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> it was fun. I had a good time. And uh, there was a lot of great participation from new families in our church. So that's what was really fun. Yeah, really good. Gosh, were you moved by the worship? Emma, I still cannot believe that voice comes out of you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And our band, they, a lot of them were working all day yesterday doing a video for Christmas, which is really good, cool. How, how'd that go? You loved it? Yeah? Good. Well, we're looking forward to it. This year uh, was going to be a fun Christmas Start uh, getting yourself ready for Christmas. Um, you know what? Uh, our tree's already decorated. All the presents are under uh, on the tree, so we're good to go. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just trying to be the ideal Christian. Uh, uh, what's that? What's tomorrow? Oh, the tree goes up tomorrow? Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me. Help me, help me, help me. It gets earlier and earlier every year. Come on. Hey, why not? Let's let the Spirit of Christ be in everything. Amen? Yeah. Feeling uh, really full from yesterday. We had our parent one day, and it was really solid. Uh, made me really proud of our team and uh, really proud of our parents stepping up and saying, yeah, we want to take it to the next level with our kids and our grandkids and all that. Uh, we are going to be doing more of those. So we're excited. Uh, it was really, really good. So we'll continue to do that. Uh, I'm also feeling really full. So feeling full from the worship, feeling full from yesterday. Uh, you, know how, you know when you're in worship and all of a sudden your everyday life, which I talked to a couple of you before we, I walked in here, and you were talking about some of the challenges you're facing with family members or with, with life and work and health and things along those lines. And you come in and all of a sudden one of those songs connects with your soul. Right? And it just fills you. And all of a sudden now the words on the screen are directly connected to your everyday life. Right? And it's not just a song service. It's not just a prelude before you get to hear some teaching. It is, a, it is the transformation of the soul where you get realigned with what you're going through and you bring it back to God and you offer it up as a sacrifice that says, God, I can't do this. I need you to do that with me. So... As I get ready to deliver this message, I'd like you to pray for me because I feel that in my own life right now. Sometimes
sometimes a pastor needs his own church. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Um, there's just a lot emotionally, things that are beyond me that are affecting me. Does that make sense? Yes. And so for those of you that know what that is, you understand what I'm saying. The rest of you just trust me and say, uh, understand that I need your prayers right now as I deliver this message because... I need to be able to transcend the things that are going on in my mind, in my heart, that are a heavy weight. And um, so I could use your prayers. So Lord, I just thank you for these people. <laughs> uh, I receive their prayers right now. <laughs> okay, there you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm. So. Yesterday, I was telling a story about uh, the same grandson that, that Taylor's talking about, similar situation, uh, that he's at four and he's trying to figure out that all the things that he wants are not for him, right? And he's trying to, he's trying to wrestle with that because he sees things and he wants them really badly. And so uh, one of the things that he was having a struggle with his uh, sister and he was at our house, and, and I was noticing this, and I thought, this would be a really good time for me to tell him the story of the two wolves, which is an Indian proverb uh, that is really helpful for children because, they, one, they like animals, okay? And, and so they can see how there's truths that can come out of something like a story, right? I think sometimes we limit ourselves to only scriptures, but sometimes stories can illustrate scriptural principles. And so this story of the two wolves is that there's two wolves that live inside of you. There's a good wolf and there is a dark wolf. One that is evil and is always speaking to you and always trying to get you to think about things you shouldn't think about. So if you think about them long enough, they'll get down into your heart and begin to change your heart. But there's also this good wolf that is speaking to you that is always trying to plant seeds of life and hope and love and generosity and, and love, all those things. And the, the kid in the story says, Grandpa, what, which one of the wolves win? Because they, he said that they were always fighting each other and they're always fighting for your attention. He said, who, who is the one? that wins, and, and the grandpa says, the one that you feed the most. The one that you feed the most. So I told Jude, I said, so the good wolf is always telling you to do good things for your sister, for your, your sisters, your, your mom and dad, and obeying your mom and dad. And Who do you think the good wolf is? And he says, Jesus? I said, yep, Jesus is speaking through the good wolf. And he said, I said, who do you think the bad wolf is, the dark wolf? He says, the devil. I said, yep. I said, you have to decide which one you want to listen to when, when the bad wolf is telling you to do something to your sister that isn't good. Then you have to decide if you're going to feed the wolf. Because I drew him a picture, and I showed the brain, 
and or showed a little boy with a brain at the top and a little heart on his chest. I said, the good wolf and the bad wolf are trying to put thoughts into your head that will get down into your heart. That's what it means to have Jesus in your heart is you listen to the good wolf long enough to get those words into your heart, into your soul. And then as that happens, the dark wolf's voice doesn't have as much power over you. So the, he really grasped it, asked me tons of questions about it. He was really enamored. And so then uh, about half hour later, he walked up to me and he had something in his hand. He said, Papa, the dark wolf is telling me something. And I said, he is. What is he telling you? He says, he's telling me to keep this. And he opens up his hand, and it's one of my rocks that, from my small little rock collection that I have. He's always got his eyes on my, the rocks that I have in this bowl. And he says, he's telling me to take this home. <laughs> I said, he is. That's not a good thing. And he says, I know. And I said, so... Which, what's the good wolf saying? He's saying, to put it back. So, so which one are you going to feed? He said, the good one. And he turns around and <laughs> puts it in the bowl and walks back out. I go, Jude, I'm so proud of you. Now you're listening to the good wolf, and now that's going to go into your heart. And that little simple, overly simple analogy is something I would like to give to you today. Because really what we're talking about is allowing the good wolf or the Christ to go from your head and into your heart. I think a lot of us have kept Jesus in our head as a belief system only. It starts as a belief system, but then it becomes something that you have locked into your heart. And uh, I'd like you to look at Joshua chapter 24. This is the theme for me and my house. And today, the title of my message today, I'm really frustrated with this title, but I guess the best thing that I could say is you, you choose what people see. You choose what people are going to see in you and of God. Before I read this passage, I think that there's a frustration that people have in the world when they, they, they can't really see evidence of God and because they have this paradigm that God is the, the God that intervenes when bad things happen. But when, when bad things happen that he doesn't seem to intervene in, then is there even a God? Why would there be a tsunami or a holocaust or an earthquake that swallows up hundreds of people? Why is there, is there uh, things like the Rwanda genocide? Why, 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 why? And they start listing off all these things that God could easily just stop, apparently. And so they look at that and they say, that's evidence that God doesn't exist. But that framework doesn't seem to be serving them very well because it's cutting them off from the relationship they could have with God. And what I would beg to, to suggest is to you that sometimes... In fact, maybe most of the time that we see God at work is we see God at work as he brings people in and out of our lives with answers and divine appointments and signs and support. Yesterday morning, 
Tina was out in the foyer greeting people and somebody walked up to her and she asked her how things were going and, and she said, well, there's a real challenge going on right now. And, and, the, and she stops and she says, I have a scripture for you. Just right at the right time, in the right moment, the right word for the right issue and plucked it right into her spirit. It was awesome. It was God at work. And sometimes we're waiting for God to work in these ways of stopping the natural so that we can have the most comfortable life possible and the life that makes the most sense to us as opposed to recognizing that all day long God is using people all over the world that are being prompted by the Spirit of Christ to go in and speak a word, to pray, to give, to serve, to help, to be there, to follow those promptings, and then begin to show up in ways that are obvious to the person that God has not forgotten me. And I think that sometimes we forget that we don't serve Jesus so that we can get to heaven. Heaven is a byproduct. It's not the reason we serve Jesus. We serve Jesus is because God is the creator of the universe. He is our maker. And as we align with him, we get to co-create with him the life that he has for us. And then we begin to make a difference in this world that has challenges like tsunamis and hurricanes and genocides and all the things. And God begins to prompt people to go out and make a difference. I, I loved watching some of the video footage of Florida. There were so many churches and nonprofit organizations that rushed right into there right after the hurricane in their own boats and in their own there are even canoes. They were canoeing in rescuing people, dragging them out of the mud and out of the water and out of the, the you know, isolation that they were experiencing because they were prompted to help. And then you see, if you're the person that's sitting on a roof and somebody comes by with a boat to help you off that roof, all of a sudden, you just know that God hasn't forgotten you. It's a powerful thing. How it all works, I'm not really sure. I just know that I want to be one of those guys that God can use to interrupt somebody's day or their week or their life with the good news of Jesus. That God loves them, hasn't forgotten them, forgives them, is going to help them take a step forward in their lives. That's my goal. In Joshua 24, 14, this is our key verse for, uh, for me and my house. Uh, Joshua was dealing with people as they were going into the promised land. He, he's saying to them, he, they were going into a place where people worshipped other gods, many gods, like all kinds of gods. Gods of stars, sticks, plants, animals, all kinds. Sexuality, all kinds of stuff. Much like today. People worshiping all kinds of gods. Things that they evolved their whole life around. And so he says, fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. 
Put away forever the idols of your ancestors, your idols that your ancestors uh, worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord only. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Now stop right there. This word choose. Choose today who you will serve. If you look that up in the Hebrew, the definition describes an ongoing choice, not a decision that stops. It's not a static word. It's It's a repeated word. To choose means to wake up every morning and choose today I'm going to serve the Lord. Okay? Every time you get tempted by the dark wolf to take the rock, you choose to serve the Lord. Jude made the choice. He made a choice right then to take the rock back and put it back. I mean, the first choice he made was to come tell me about it. I just wonder what was going on in his brain before he came to me. I would love to have seen that. All the ways he could get that thing out the door, I'm sure. He was wrestling with it. Man, I could just put it in my pocket and then I get it. When I get home, I'll just sneak up to my bedroom and I'll hide it underneath my mattress and, and Papa will never see it. And then he feels like he hears this other voice and he chooses. It's a choice. You know what? When you choose to obey that voice, it's very empowering. It also determines how people are going to see you. Because when he said that, it changed something about the way I looked at Jude. I go, oh, he's listening. He's being shaped. God's working in him. Both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Ah, I see this. Okay. So it's an ongoing choice. Then choose today who you'll serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And so he's making this decision uh, constantly. To, when Joshua was saying, me and my house will serve the Lord, he's not talking about his actual, the building of his house. He's talking about his household, his sons, his grandsons, his extended family, those that come to dinner at, at different festivals and things like that. So we're, uh, that this group of us, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to do everything I can to get these guys to serve the Lord. And so we are asking you to look at your house. What house do you have? I mean, you have the physical structure, but you have more than a house. You have a, you have a household, a group of people They may not even be your blood family, but they're people that you're connected to, okay? And so you might be the only one in your house, but your men's group or your GGs or your your youth group or whatever is your family, your household, your, your peer group, the people you run with, the people you chill with, the people you hunt with, the, the guys that you work with, the people that you influence. And so there is this, there is this ongoing choice today who we are going to see, choose. I mean, who we're going to serve. This word serve means to work, to sacrifice time, heart, and financial resource. It meant for, it meant to be a servant, okay? 
to be a servant of. And if you look at the Old Testament and you look up the gods and, the, and idols and things like that, when they talk about serving idols, the word uh, serving for idols is sacrifice. Make a sacrifice. It even affects the calendar. So the calendar was set up in such a way that you bent and yield to different gods and idols. And so when Joshua was talking to people that were very familiar to serving idols and gods like that, he recognized that they were bending their lives around certain ideologies and certain entities that were changing the routine of their life and asking for homage and asking for sacrifice and asking for finance for, for things to be sacrificed on the altar they were asking for a big commitment from the people that served them, but it was in their own minds. And so this big, huge commitment that they'd made to these other gods that shaped them and caused their life to bend around it was for a God that didn't even exist. And so Joshua is saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In other words, we're going to bend our lives around the Lord, the one true God. We're going to bend our calendar. We'll bend our finances. We'll bend our sacrifice. We're going to, we're going to work hard. Yeah. Then flash forward into the New Testament. We got, we, got, uh, we got the Apostle Paul who began to serve Jesus and serve the Lord. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. Okay, this is awesome. There is a saving that takes place when you believe, okay? You believe, you make a decision in your head. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I, I see this Jesus thing. That makes sense to me. I think I'm going to buy into it. I'm going to download this and make this part of my life, Okay. When you believed, you were saved. It was by the grace. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. In other words, you didn't do nothing. No, God's the one who did it. Even when you made the decision, you didn't do anything. God had planted seed in you and was pulling you along all the way. And finally, you, you realize, oh, I see what's going on here. And you accept it. It was him. He was sending people into your life, circumstances, all kinds of stuff were happening that were, was, he was working on you. Verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. I think we need to start seeing ourselves as, as, a, as a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he planned for us a long time ago. One translation says so that we can do the good works. So he makes it very clear, the good works do not get you salvation. The good works come because you have been saved. Because you are so grateful that God has forgiven you and that you have a relationship with him. You are so grateful. You are so enamored by God that he would consider you a masterpiece of his. That you want to work to help co communicate to other people that they're God's masterpiece. That was happened all day yesterday. Parents, there's some parents that were coming in feeling pretty low. You could just see it on their faces. It's like, man, this is hard work. And then they would get a divine appointment with one of our leaders or one of our pastors that would just build them up and say, no, you start from here. 
This is this step that you took by showing up here today. This shows that you love your kids and that's a good step. And you may all the, all the way up until now, you may see yourself as failing, but I guarantee you, if you take us, if you take Jesus and allow him to come into your parenting, uh, oh yeah, you, you're going to, you're going to see a big, huge difference. So it goes on to say this, um, these are, uh, so we can do the good works that he planned for us long ago. There was good works that he planned for you long ago. Okay, now follow this. We're going to go over to Colossians now. Paul talking again. And we're, getting, we're going to get to this place where you're going to see a way that is going to cause your life to completely change. Okay? Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Paul's talking again here. He says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles as well. Gentiles were the non-Jewish people, okay? And this is the secret that Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. Now, notice he's talking to Gentile people. And he says that Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. One translation says, it's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. In other words, you are the hope of the ultimate will of God. The expression of God. You are his masterpiece. You have Christ living in you, and you are the hope of glory. Back to when I first started the message, I talked about how so many people discount God or, or write off God because they don't see God at work. But you are the hope of glory, not him doing some amazing miracle that we hope that will happen. I mean, miracles happen. We just don't know when they're going to happen. We don't know how they're going to happen. But we do know this. You get to decide what people see in you. You get to decide it. But that, it requires you to recognize that there's something on the inside of you called Christ. Now remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. You know that, right? Jesus is the Christ. That's not his name. People call him Christ, you know, and things like that. But Jesus is his name. That's his human name. But his divinity spirit is Christ. But guess what? That same Christ lives inside of you. That divinity lives inside of you. You are not God, but his spirit lives inside of you. But it's up to you. You get to decide if you're going to let that spirit come out. And this is how we're going to see, we're going to see God's glory come by you being obedient to him. So here's a couple of thoughts on that, okay? You get, since you get to choose what they see, you get to decide if they're going to see the dark wolf or the wolf of the light. You get to decide. Just like Jude came up to me with that rock, he got to decide what I was going to see. Was I going to see his choice to let the Christ come up? Or was I going to see the choice to let the darkness show up? Let me, let me tell you this. As fast as you can even think, the dark wolf will speak. 
It's always speaking to us. In Revelations, he's called the accuser of the brethren. Always saying, oh, this marriage will never work. Uh, You're not worthy to be loved. You'll never be married. You'll never have a baby. You'll never be loved. You'll never be healed. That's the enemy speaking. He's constantly speaking. You're ugly. You're stupid. As I was going through the whole uh, analogy with Jude, I was telling him the dark wolf is always telling you that you're stupid. And he's always telling you that the other people are stupid. And it's all a lie. None of it's the truth. The dark wolf never tells the truth. He always tells a lie. And there's a lot of us that listen to it all the time, not just four-year-olds. But there's adults that listen to it constantly. But you get to decide what you awaken on the inside of you. You have the Christ that lives inside of you. And it's time that we let it out. And so here's three things real quick. I want to give you three things so that people see the Christ in you, that hope of glory. There's a hope that the world needs right now that they're only going to see if the Christ rises up within you, okay? There's all kinds of ways to see that God is real. Probably the best way to see that God is real is when people see that your life is transformed. When your family sees that from last Thanksgiving to this Thanksgiving, there's something that's changed about your spirit. When all of a sudden your wife starts to notice you have new behaviors and new habits and you, you're getting up a little bit earlier or you, and, and, you, and you're reading the word or you're, you're taking some time to pray or you're taking some time to ask for forgiveness and you're taking some time to talk to your wife a little bit longer and you're actually introducing a thought about the things of God, she knows that the Christ is trying to get out and you're, and you're helping with it. And so... Here's three things that I'd like you to consider. Since you choose what they see, the first thing I would suggest is that we choose to let Christ that is in us out. I was at our man cave. Um, we have this group called man cave where we build stuff. And uh, like we build the chandelier here and we built the cross out in front and uh, a few other projects that we've done. And uh, so we get there and we have a little Bible study and we work on stuff and build things and all that kind of stuff. And one of the guys was looking for one of his tools. He's looking all over the place for it. And I could tell he's, he's like really, you know, really bothered that it was gone. He, he, I mean, not in a negative way. He's just like, where, where is it? Who, did somebody move it? And he's looking for it because you could tell by the way he takes care of his tools that it's um, something that he really values. But they're missing and, and never did find it. And then I saw him and uh, I said, hey, you know, uh, it's kind of frustrating when you can't find your tool or something like that. He goes, yeah, I'm just really happy with myself right now. Because if it was a year ago, I'd been pretty upset right now. He says, but these kinds of things don't make me upset anymore. And and I knew what he was talking about. God had got a hold of him about a year ago, started working on him in in a major way. He had some really low places. It was really interesting that he came and shared it with our group. He said, I've never told anybody any of this stuff before. 
And, and he shared, he just poured out all the things the dark wolf had been speaking to him. And uh, God had gotten a hold of his life and changed his life. And we've got to watch that trend. That's the reason why small groups are so good, is you get to watch somebody go from the darkness and into the light and allow that Christ-likeness to come up and to let it out because people see it. When people see you apologize when you came off too hard and you were too abrupt or your kids got yelled at or, or stripped down with your voice, and you realize that, man, I gotta, I gotta apologize. And you go up to them and you say, you know, Dad, I remember doing this a bunch, <laughs> to be honest with you. Because there's so many times when I was get frustrated with our kids when they were little. I remember saying so. I watched Taylor's face when he was a little boy. One time when I got really mad at him, I don't even remember what I was mad at. I just watched him shrink and just kind of cower. And I went up to him and kneeled down next to his bed. I don't know if he remembers this. And I said, hey, daddy's really sorry for how I talked to you. Can you forgive me? He said, it's okay, dad. I said, no, it's not okay. I don't want you to ever feel that from me ever again. That was my desire. There was other times the dark wolf got the better part of me. So I got into a routine of repenting. But it got less and less as time went on. Are you following my saying? I get to choose what he saw in me, which is Christ. If I didn't get it the first time, I got it the second time with the apology. Some of you have thought, oh, I blew it. Now I'm done. No, you're not done. Get in there and apologize. Get in there and admit you were wrong. Tell your wife you were wrong. Tell your husband you were wrong. Okay. Sorry this isn't very exciting, but, you know, it's something to think. We have a friend that, um, he was a contractor, and he was, he was an evangelist. He loved to pass out videos of all kinds of things, everything from people getting healed to people radically getting saved. And he loved Jesus so much, still does. But he got himself in some trouble because there was a downturn in the economy and he literally had to file bankruptcy. And he filed bankruptcy and he was really concerned because some of the people that weren't going to get paid were people that were his friends and people that he knew well. And, and so he, he really wrestled with it, but he didn't have, really have any choice. He had to go bankrupt. So he went bankrupt, and he thought, you know what? I don't want these people to remember me this way. The Christian guy that's always evangelizing, telling them about Jesus, just stiffed him of 100 grand. $900,000 total. So he said in his heart that he was going to pay them all back. Took him nine years, but he paid back $900,000 worth of debt he didn't even have to pay back. Well, now, I'm not saying that everybody that goes bankrupt needs to go pay everybody back. I'm just saying that that's what he chose to do because he wanted people to remember him differently, especially those that he knew. Here's the second thing I would suggest. First, we choose to let Jesus Christ or the Christ-like spirit in us out. And the second thing... We choose to follow the prompts. 
We choose to follow the prompts. When you have Christ in you, there's this prompting on the inside that says, go tell Papa that the dark wolf is speaking. Okay? And so there is these prompts that come up inside of you that you can easily shove down really quick. Oh, no, 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 I don't have time to do that. Oh, no, 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 that would cost me too much. Oh, no, I'm just too mad. They don't deserve it. And these promptings that come up inside you is the Christ-likeness that's inside of you. It's just like, can you let me out, please? I'm trying to do something here, and I'm trying to use you. Come on, let's do this. We got some stuff to do. We got a world to change. We got to change some lives. And you get this prompting that's on the inside. And some of you get promptings, you just shut them down. The more you shut down the promptings of the good wolf, the dark wolf takes over. And you get callous. I remember our, our friends Rich and Shirley used to go to this church for years and they moved to Texas to be with their family. And, and uh, they, were walk, they used to do prayer walks up and down their street. And uh, they just felt led of the Lord to pray over this one family and this older couple that lived there that weren't Christians. Uh, they had, didn't have the same values. In fact, they really didn't have the same values. They're pretty rough and pretty, let's just put it this way. The husband would walk over. He was an old elderly guy. He'd walk over in just his skivvies and just show up at their house in his skivvies and his underwear or his t-shirt. And he's just, just kind of a creepy guy. But they just decided that they were going to minister to this, this couple. They ended up ministering to him for six years, letting Christ come out of them. But they felt this prompting that they were supposed to get engaged with them and help them with their finances and help them with their grocery shopping and help them with their yard. And so the husband mowed the lawn and the wife took the, the wife out the shopping and all this kind of stuff. They just took it on. That was the prompting that they got. Nobody else got it. They got it. It was a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And both the husband and the wife gave their hearts to Jesus by the very end of that time. But they felt prompted to just lean into it. I mean, they did everything all the way up until the point where they passed away. They arranged the funerals and they sold the house and they did everything for the family. But that was their thing. And who knows, maybe they were sent to just do that. When we get into eternity, there may be something like that, that we get to see these reruns. Hey, watch this one. You know, this was really cool. <laughs> and so we choose to follow the prompts. There's these prompts that come up for us to do things. Hey, give so-and-so a scripture. Give some, hey, text so-and-so. Go visit so-and-so. Let the Christ-likeness come out of you. Show up to be that divine appointment. Show up to be that person that decides that you're going to bring hope to people that have no hope. And you, you show up to the person that would be classified as your enemy and love them yeah. and help them. Yeah. There's one more thing. When we choose to let, the, let Christ shape our convictions, good things start to happen. There are some convictions that need to be shaped. When Jude, when Jude came up to me, there, he felt convicted. He got convicted in his little tiny soul. He got convicted and he acted on that conviction. And when the Christ-likeness inside of you begins to raise up convictions and you act on them, 
the world begins to get better. This friend that I know uh, named Harley, he was teaching at a parent thing one time, and, and he was teaching about how when he would come home from work, he'd be so stressed out, his kids would get the worst version of him. And so he made the decision that he was gonna take the five minutes at the end of his commute and totally focus on releasing what happened at work and began to visualize what he was gonna look like when he walked in the door. What his face looked like, what his body posture was like, what his voice was like, what he was gonna say, what he was gonna do, all the things. And so he'd visualize it because he had this conviction, this conviction on the inside that the Christ-likeness on the inside of him was convicting him that he wasn't giving his family the best version of him. It was a conviction. And he listened to that conviction. And because he did that, it totally changed how his home life was because he followed the conviction of Christ. The conviction of Christ is gonna come at you in different ways, with different situations, with your spouse, with your children, with your neighbor, with your friends at work, your, your employees, your employer, or whatever the case may be. When the Holy Spirit convicts your soul, listen to it and act on it. Papa, the dark wolf is talking to me. What should you do, Jude? Put it back. Are you going to do that? Yes. Because he had a conviction. We need to teach our kids how to have conviction. And the only way to do that is by being a granddad, by being a dad, by being a mom, a grandma, an aunt, or a knuckle that has your own convictions. That the Holy Spirit, the Christ-like Spirit, that lives within you, allows you to become the masterpiece that God made. It's Christ in you that is the hope of our future. It's Christ in you that's gonna respond to however the election goes on Tuesday. When that takes place, it doesn't matter how it goes, it's gonna be disruptive around here. But the Christ in you will show up with conviction, with inspiration, with the right words at the right time, resisting the dark wolf that wants to rise up and be mad and angry or in your face or salty or vindictive or prideful. The Christ-likeness inside of you is going to show up. And that's the hope of God's glory. You want to see a God that works? Let Christ come out of you and people will see the Christ in you, which is that hope of glory. Let me pray. Lord, all around this room, I know that there are some deep things going on in their lives. 
And I pray that you would bring conviction where it's needed. I pray that you bring promptings where it's needed. I pray that you show us ways to let the Christ out of us. Lord, let us be the divine appointment that somebody needs. Let us be the answered prayer that somebody needs. Let us be the one that turns the family around, that turns the neighborhood around. Let us be the one that turns the church around. Let us be the one that turns our small group around, our place of employment around. Let us bring a different spirit in every realm in which we work. God, I thank you. I thank you for the Christ-likeness that you have placed in every single one of us here. May it flourish and may you be known as the God the God of the marvelous masterpieces as we choose to let the Christ come out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, your prayers helped me get through that. Thank you very much. I love you guys. Some of you are in a place where you need to make a formal commitment to Christ. And that's what these prayer partners are here for. This is like a first step. You come talk with one of these prayer partners, they'll pray with you and give you a little book and help you get started in your walk with Jesus. They also are here to pray for you if you got personal things going on, like stuff that's going on in my life. Stuff that's going on in your life needs prayer. So come on up and receive prayer. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.